Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 114 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm super happy that you're here with me today. Today's kind of a weird show, and I'll explain that in a minute, um, but I hope that you'll enjoy it. My voice is a little lower than normal. I was at the bar last night, not drinking, um, but singing, singing, singing with my band Sausalito. So we were crooning some yacht rock and um, the sound was really bad. So actually what we were doing was kind of screaming it, trying to be heard by the audience. It did get better, but um, I'm a little hoarse today, but that's super fun. And um, what else is going on around here? It has been a pretty mellow week just been getting little things done writing wise um finished up some queries on the thriller so that is i believe completely out of my hands right now uh it's not coming out till next august i don't have to do anything but promote it starting in maybe january or february um so but for interest sake for you guys um i actually hired a publicist out of my pocket to help me with that um her name is dana k k a y e she is i believe the best publicist in um in in uh publishing i've worked with her before she's divine and she gave me a plan i have a plan of action for this new book because it's a new name it's under rh heron not rachel heron so i'm going to be building my mailing list and doing all the things you do for these kind of things so it's been fabulous to work with her and um i've been doing that still working on finishing the copy edits for the last romance because I can't be bothered. Really, I just can't. It's the week before Christmas. I have lazy on my brain and lazy in my bones. I have really been enjoying lying around reading and planning for next year. Um, I'm doing a new thing where I'm going to be spending less and saving more. It's one of those tasks I set for myself and I really enjoy those kind of challenges. So I've been thinking a lot about that and working toward that. So that has been pretty awesome. Do you guys do that? You should let me know if you do. Do you have big grand goals? I'm not talking about, um, resolutions. I don't really do resolutions, but I do think of my life in terms of cycles and which cycle am I in? Oh, I read a good quote yesterday that I cannot attribute and I apologize for that. Um, it might've been Virginia Woolf, uh, but it says something like, uh, some years ask questions and other years answer them. And I think right now I have been in years of asking questions, um, for the last year or so. So I'm doing more. I'm doing more of that questioning and writing about it for my Patreon essays, uh, which is just basically one of my favorite things to do in life. You know how I feel about this, this creative narrative nonfiction. Um, it's what I love to write. It's what I love to teach. Um, so I think about it a lot. Uh, speaking of Patreon, let me thank some new patrons. We've got um, Tammy L. Brightweiser. Hello, Tammy. Uh, Tian Duan. Thank you, Tian. That's fabulous. And Lisa Van Pelt. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Patreon Club. I hope you enjoy the essays. You've got like two years worth in there, two full books. And I'm starting this new book about money and um, focusing on the emotional and spiritual and mental rather than 
the material, which is, I must admit, something I'm struggling with balancing when I'm thinking about this project because I'm thinking about de-emphasizing the material while emphasizing not spending and saving the money I would have spent toward a rainy day, toward retirement. So there's still a focus on the material. So that's something I'm going to write about because I don't understand it. Um, and today, let me tell you about the show. I'm going to give you a uh, full disclosure here. I read this article in, um, it is called the, mag- the online magazine High Desert Journal. And it's called When the Ground Thaws by Alexis Bonagovsky. And it is one, it's probably my favorite piece of narrative nonfiction that I read all year in 2018. It just blew me away. And I interviewed her for the show. It was a fantastic interview. Um, We talked about many things. It was lovely. It was going to come out this week. And one day last week, um, I couldn't open a Word document and I was like, oh gosh, what are my computers full? So I went through and I got rid of all the videos that I didn't need. I made sure that I took none out of the program where I capture my interviews um, because I knew that would be saved and I hadn't posted hers yet, but I emptied everything else, emptied the trash, got rid of it. It was very careful. And then of course, when I went to look for her interview, it had been in a different file folder that had gotten deleted and I had very carefully emptied the trash. I spent almost a day, (laughs) I spent hours and hours trying to recover it. I used um, three different recovery tools, systems to go back into the depths of my hard drive and, and pull these interviews out. And it's funny, I got interviews back from years ago that I found that I deleted and, you know, gotten off the hard drive for, well, not quite, but years ago, it pulled those up. But for some reason from three weeks ago, it did not pull it up. So I was ashamed and embarrassed and I admitted it to Alexis and, um, we were going to, we did set up a time to talk, but I didn't get confirmation because apparently I'm just um, really a space cadet when it comes to Alexis. So I decided not to bother her. I was just over at Skype pinging her to see if um, she was going to drop in. And then I realized I hadn't gotten confirmation from her. This is all my fault. So what I would really like to do is read you a section from this essay uh, to show you what I love about it. Really, it basically, I want to pimp her work um, <laughs> without making her waste her time on an interviewer who is careless enough to lose an interview. I really, really hate that I did that. So this is from High Desert Journal. I'll go ahead and link it at my show notes at howdoyouwrite.net. And I'm just going to read a section. We're jumping in kind of in the middle. Um, let me give you her bio so you know where we're coming from. Isn't this fun? We've got an interview without the interviewee. Uh, Alexis Bonagovsky is a fourth generation Montanan community organizer, goat and sheep rancher, and freelance writer and photographer who lives and works along the Yellowstone River in southeastern Montana. Her writing and photography can be found on her website, East of Billings, and various news outlets and magazines, including Mountain Journal, Montana Quarterly, and Truthout. In 2014, she was awarded the Cultural Freedom Fellowship from the Lannan Foundation in Santa Fe. And I highly recommend that you go to her website. She's in fact selling a calendar of some of her photography of that portion of Montana, southeastern Montana, which is spectacular. It's almost hard to believe that places like this exist, you know, for a city girl like me um, to look at the things that she gets to look at is really, truly 
amazing. So this piece is called When the Ground Thaws. Um, basically, she is going back to North Dakota after her father has died a while before. Um, and she's going to visit her uncle, Jean, who is actually her great uncle, but has always been regarded as an uncle. Her father loved him. Uh, let's see. So I'm just going to jump in right here. Um, oh, and this is a, uh, content warning. We're going to discuss suicide. Um, suicide, the highest rate of suicide in America is a Montana and it is getting bigger. Um, it's, I think it's gotten, it's gotten 38% more, um, in the last 10 years I read. And it's always been the highest in the nation for whatever reason. There's this, um, we, well, Alexis and I were talking about it. Uh, it's a spread out state. There's only a million people in this sparsely populated land. They do not have enough mental health resources within the state to help those who need it. So it has kind of turned into um, an, a, an actual epidemic. And, um, so let me jump right in here. She's, she's going to meet, uh, 94 year old Gene and talk to him out here in North Dakota. And I, <laughs> and I hope that I do this justice. So please enjoy. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my stop stalling and write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. We walk in through the garage and down a long hallway. Lena, my dog, slinks along the wall, constantly looking back to make sure I'm still behind her. Warm, stale air greets me as I open the door to the kitchen. Gene is sitting at the kitchen table. He looks so old, so old that it startles me, his spine curved like the letter C. He is 94 and spent his life farming and ranching. Shoveling, hauling, fixing, lifting, doing, being. I am immediately ashamed it took me three years to come visit. I lean over and give him a gentle hug. Hello, Lexi, he says. Hi, Jean. Please don't be scared if you hear me cry out. My back, it causes me so much pain. Him saying this scares me. Okay, Jean. I have a doctor's appointment in Bismarck tomorrow. But I wouldn't mind a visit from Dr. Kevorkian. He laughs a little. I think he's dead, I say. And then I hope he didn't hear me. Jean taps the chair next to him. I sit down. Lena places herself against his legs, making sure she has a direct line of view to me. A space heater whirs in the corner. The room is warm, at least 80 degrees. There are thick plastic strips in the doorway to the living room, the type they hang in butcher shops to keep the heat in the kitchen and the cold out. Lexi, can I ask you a question? Of course. Have you buried Tom yet? No small talk, I guess. No, we... No. Pain starts to whirl through my body and tears form behind my eyes. The words I'm about to say get stuck in my belly. Are you planning to? Lena presses up against his leg. He strokes her head with his large hands, covering her entire head in one stroke. Her eyes close. My dad's ashes are in a beautiful, heavy, cylindrical, pure brass urn that he had specially made for him years before he died. Engraved on the outside is his name and the year he was born. We haven't engraved the year he died on it yet. He kept the urn on the pantry in the house alongside the canned tomatoes and pickles. He was so proud of it, showed everyone who came to visit. 
I tell Jean we are planning to bury the urn. We have to pick a spot for Tom, he says. He sends me to the laundry room to find a neon orange folder in his cabinet where he keeps the Carson Community Cemetery records. Lena follows close behind. When I grab the folder, I see another one behind it with photos sticking out of the sides. I take a quick look and find a picture of my mom, my dad, my sister, and me. We are all smiling. My sister and I are about eight or nine years old and wearing frilly Christmas dresses. Mine is blue. Hers is purple and black. I can tell I'm uncomfortable in the photo, leaning back, arms crossed in front of me, a red tint to my cheeks. I hate wearing dresses. I take the photo and slide it in my back pocket. I return to my seat and give the folder to Jean. He takes out a yellow-lined piece of paper with a hand-drawn map of the cemetery. It's a grid with plot he, plots he owns and the names of the people already there. His handwriting looks like my dad's. His hands look like my dad's. His body looks like my dad's. It's such long arms. What about 19? He asks and points to an empty square. It's a large plot, but not adjacent to my dad's mother, father, brother, and sisters. Don't you think he'd want to be near Scotty? I ask. Scotty was his brother, and just three years when he died. You might need more room if your mom and you and your sister want to be here. Tom should be with his family. Have you thought about that yet? No, I haven't, I lie. I have thought about it. My dad always called this the home place. He talked about the old country and the old timers. North Dakota was him his home, but not mine. I won't be buried there, nor will my mom or my sister. Well, you think about it. We'll keep this right here, and when you decide, we can mark it down. He closes the folder, clasps his hands on his lap, drops his chin toward his chest, and closes his eyes. For a moment, I think he has fallen asleep. When I got that phone call, you could have knocked me over with a toothpick. He was the last person I would have ever thought. Gene shakes his head. That wasn't Tom. That wasn't his way. I imagine my father then, like I have a hundred times before. I see him on a bed. I see the three fifty-seven he always carried in his pack. I see his index finger resting on the trigger and the barrel pointed at his heart. Did he close his eyes? Did he take a deep breath before he squeezed the trigger? I wonder what his last thoughts were. The mind and guns work so quickly. Was there a moment of doubt, of regret, though the brain had already told the finger to pull the trigger? Did he think about me, or my mom, or my sister? I feel like throwing up. It's too hot in the kitchen. My heart races, my jaw tightens. I can feel my face get red as I try not to cry. That wasn't Tom. That wasn't his way. Jean's words get stuck on a loop in my head. Jean doesn't know that it was my dad, that it was his way. It wasn't his way, he says again. There is a reason he had an urn made for himself so early. He didn't want to get old, he said. He wouldn't live past seventy, he said. He drank too much and couldn't control it anymore. What he did was absolutely him. He tried two times before that I know of. If I'm honest, I should tell Jean right now that there was no other way my dad was going to die. But I don't say this to Jean. It would only hurt him more. Three and a half years ago, on a beautiful fall day in Montana, I stood in my living room, 
and my partner Mike put his hand on my arm. He seemed so far away. He looked me directly in the eyes and didn't look away. My legs got weak, and I could feel them starting to give out. He was so far away from me. That moment took forever. I could live in it. I was standing in the exact spot we put up our Christmas trees as a child. We'd put a crappy silver plastic star that I thought was so special and unique on the very top, and my dad would put Willie Nelson's Pretty Paper Christmas album on the record player. We shut all the house lights off, and my mom, my dad, my sister, and I would all lie on the couch, mesmerized by the Christmas tree lights. Your dad shot himself, Mike said. I had two thoughts. The first is, why would you say something like that to me? The second is, yes, of course he did. Hmm. So I don't know how I'm going to edit to the end there because I just kind of stopped talking where I wanted to stop talking, but also because I had such a lump in my throat. Um, What I want to just talk briefly about in this piece, and believe me, this is not the hardest part in the piece. The hardest part is later um, when we see her dad's three-year-old brother die. Um, This is an intense piece. But there is so much true emotion felt and portrayed in it. And the way she does it, I think, is perfect. She puts us right into the moment. And this is true of all writing. This is true of um, nonfiction and fiction. The more detailed and specific you become, the more universally it can be felt, which is counterintuitive. And new writers often miss this. They think that they want to make sure that they explain to the reader that this is a great emotion that they're feeling. Here's how the emotion felt. I was sad. I was very happy. I was very elated. Um, None of that matters. What we want to see are those concrete, distinct, discrete moments, that neon orange folder that's in the cupboard, um, the way the dog leans against Jean but keeps Alexis in the sight line, um, that crappy silver plastic star. Even if you never had a Christmas tree, even if you never had a crappy silver plastic star, but I believe that's exactly what we had, um, you identify with this particular moment. The details are what make it true would make it resonate with us, even if we've never been to any place like North Dakota or Southeastern Montana. Um, we identify with these feelings. Um, another thing I want to point out that I'm always banging on about in my classes, my students will, um, whoever listens will uh, understand this, but where is it? Um, the visceral feelings that she puts into this piece. Um, again, you can say, I feel stressed out. I feel anxious. I feel sad. Um, those words mean nothing. They are naming the emotion, but we as human beings don't relate to that kind of naming. What we relate to literally are looking at a person, either on a screen or reading the words on a page, um, looking at a person who's having a bodily reaction uh, every body, every, every human body reacts to emotional stimuli. 
we can't help it. Even people who are described as cold, you may be writing a character who is cold and emotionless. Um, that's fine. That's, that's useful. But inside their body, on the visceral, on their visceral trunk, like from the head down to the throat, through the middle of the body, when they have emotions, um, they're having an autonomic, automatic reaction that they cannot control. It just happens. Some people are better at hiding it than others. And our lizard brains, because when we read words on the page or we see something happen on a screen in front of us, like in a movie, um, there is something in our brains that is getting ready to feel or do the same thing that we see. So when you're at a scary movie and something jumps off the screen at you, towards you, you actually duck and scream and put up your hands or in, you know, in my case, usually I punch my partner. I don't know why. I, there's, there's a fight or a flight response and mine is fight. So I'll fight whoever is near it, nearest me if something is jumping off the screen, which is why we don't watch a lot of horror movies in our house. Um, so, but our brains actually can't tell the difference when we read words like kick or grab or hit. When we read them on the page, our motor cortex is actually lighting up as if we are about to hit or kick or grab or, or punch, whatever it is. If we read about how it feels to put our foot on a pedal, or if you're hearing this right now, when I said, put your foot on a bike pedal, your brain is gearing up to push the pedal of a bike. It's just the way we work. So when we read visceral visceral emotions happening within the trunk of the body, we understand on a deep level how this person is feeling. So when Alexa says, I feel like throwing up, it's too hot in the kitchen. My heart races, my jaw tightens. I can feel my face get red. She doesn't have to tell us what she's going through on a surface level, we're, we're inside her body. And by being inside her body, we're inside our bodies. And we understand what that emotion feels like um, when that whole mix of grief and rage and anger and fear and um, the need to be anywhere else and the need to cool off and the need to warm up, all of that happens to us. Um, we all know how that emotional panic feels. And we identify and we're there in the moment and throughout this whole piece, she goes back to this. She talks about um, the emotional stoicism of these people, of her family, um, and how words are few. I think there's, and, and I, I do think that part of my love of this piece does come from the fact that I, my dad is from a ranching family in Arizona and um, there's... There's a piece later on here about how they go out into the family cemetery and they get the shovel. And um, she remembers seeing her father and her uncle leaning against each other as they, you know, after they've dug a hole for somebody's urn. And in my family, that's what we do, too. You know, when we went to my grandpa's funeral, we all just drove out in pickup trucks out to the cemetery and everybody took a turn wielding the spade to turn over the ground, stick the urn in, <laughs> bury it. And I just remember, again, I'm a city girl and thinking like, people do this? You're allowed to do this? I kept looking over my shoulder, like for the police, the cemetery police to come, you know, but this is, this is a windblown, almost a ghost town in Arizona. Nobody cares. It's just family members and people from the VFW who put on the, the, the service, you know, um, 
and to read her description of this and the emotional stoicism of these people, but then for her to interpret it for us with true emotion, using specific details, just knocks me out. And I am so happy to share this with you. And I really would encourage you to go to howdoyouwrite.net, click on the article and read the whole thing. It's a long read. It's probably, you know, a good 10 or 12 minute read. Um, just as a, as a tech matter, I use an app called Pocket. I don't know if you know this. Um, I think it's at Get Pocket. If you Google Get Pocket on iTunes or for the Android, um, basically whenever you see a long read, you can just hit the Pocket button, share to Pocket, and then you can read it offline without any ads or any of the mumbo jumbo. So you can like save articles from the New York Times or from little magazines like this um, and read them in your spare time when you're lying in bed, when you really have time to think about these pieces. And I would recommend that you do that. That's how we get better at at writing is by reading work like this that challenges us, that pushes us, that that affects us on such a deep emotional level that we have to ask as writers, why did I feel like that? And what techniques can I steal from this writer? That's part of our job. That's part of our job is to lie on the couch and read these incredible essays that are just booming right now. We're having a boom time of these essays and short stories being shared on the internet, you can find the genre that you write in and start following the people that you love and just, you know, unpack and dissect. I can't believe I said unpack. I hate it when people say unpack an idea, dissect the idea, dissect the work and take the things that you can understand from it and use them for yourself. If you can't understand how someone did something and it affects you on a truly deeply emotional level, ask another writing friend, you know, send it to me and ask me. I, I don't know if I'd be able to help, but sometimes I read a piece and I don't know why it is so effective. And it can take me a year or more to figure out why it was so effective. A lot of times it does. It's very personal. You know, something that affects me so much might not affect you, but I do believe this piece is pretty damn perfect. The way it weaves in and out of Alexis arriving at the farm, seeing Jean, and using that time in the kitchen as a placeholder to weave back and forth in time um, in a way that is not a wild ride. It's not a roller coaster. It doesn't confuse us. It doesn't scare us. We know why we're moving from the kitchen to the past, to being with her partner, to her father's childhood. Um, it works because we're anchored in this secure time with Jean, who is old and is in pain and loves Alexis and loved her father. So I recommend that you read it. I hope that me reading this and um, talking about it might have helped spark a couple of things for you in your writing. Remember, be specific. Always be specific, no matter what you're writing. Always use visceral details that occur along the trunk of the body um, to show your reader, show their lizard brain how they should be feeling about what you're writing. Um, I'm sure that I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I'll mention it again. There's a great cheat for this. It's called The Emotion Thesaurus by Angela Acker and a co-writer. I can't remember her name, um, but it's fantastic. You can, I, I recommend that you buy it on Kindle because then you can open it on your computer when you're working, sort it by chapters. And if your character or you, if you're writing memoir are feeling anxious, you can click on 
anxious and see how that appears. First, it shows the outward manifestations of anxiety, you know, what we would see if we were looking at a person. And then the next part of the chapter is what it feels like inside to be anxious. Because basically, I don't know about you, but I forget um, how things feel. I always default to a lump in the throat and sweaty palms because I personally get a lump in my throat and sweaty palms when a lot of major things happen. But there are multiple ways that the body can react. So you're not going to, it's not, it's not cheating per se, but you, you look at the list and you go, oh, right, this would work for my character, or this is what I felt in that moment. And now I'm going to describe it. I'm not just going to put, you know, my palm sweated, but you describe what that felt like in that moment. Um, so it's a fantastic resource. They have a bunch of other um, great thesauri uh, that are useful, but the emo- emotion thesaurus is something I wouldn't want to write without. I use it a lot. So that's my little um, non-interview with Alexis Bonagovsky. Alexis, thank you so much for giving me your time in the first place. I am sorry that I squandered it. I have been honored to take this deep look at your work and to discuss it on the podcast. And um, I'm just your biggest fan. So please keep writing these amazing, amazing pieces because I will continue to read them. And the rest of you listeners, I wish you um, a happy end of year. I think I've got maybe one more podcast coming before the end of the year. And then I will do my, uh, the first week in January, I'll do my annual yearly roundup of uh, what I made, how I made it, and um, what I hope I will make monetarily next year. Again, focusing on the material. So um, yeah, we're going to discuss that. In any case, happy writing to you. Get some of your own work done while you are enjoying other writers work. That's what we do. That's what we live for. And then come over to howdyouwrite.net and tell me all about it. Happy writing. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>